All right. I'm joined here with Dr. Baraki. Austin, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you? Uh, great. I'm living the dream. Just got back from the gym. And, same. Uh, same. It's a nice evening to record a podcast, but I thought we'd discuss some SteadyMD stuff first because we've been getting a lot of questions on what exactly we're doing with SteadyMD. What is it? Uh-huh. Um, how this compares to like a quote unquote regular doctor. So just question to you, how do you foresee your interactions going with patients within SteadyMD? I think one of the, so to, to kind of preface this, the way that it's going to be set up is that it sort of is arranged in a way that allows you to have a long-term relationship with a physician. Uh, and the way the, the way the system is designed is that the physician will maintain a relatively small panel of patients that they're taking care of. Whereas you might have a typical primary care physician in charge of 2000 patients uh, in a, in a freestanding clinic, um, we're going to, we're going to cap our patient panels at somewhere around 500 patients or so. And the idea of that is that it'll allow us to have more access and more time, uh, to devote to common patient issues. Additionally, the system is set up so that they have kind of direct access to the physician through uh, like a private chat app kind of thing. And so, you know, the initial the initial meeting helps the doctor get to know the patient uh, and get to know their issues, their health goals, their health problems, things they need to work on. And over time, uh, you'll have regular contact with your physician uh in order to help you, you know, reach those particular goals. So, you know, both of us do a lot of coaching um, in person and remotely. And so, with our remote coaching that we do with uh, with lifters, for example, a lot of them have very regular contact with us. They can shoot us a message anytime. Um, you know, say this lift is feeling like this, or I'm not feeling too good today, or I had this injury happen or things like that. And so we're able to help them through those issues when they send us these messages. And so I've kind of foresee a similar setup with these patients when it comes time to their health issues as to what we do. It's kind of like a health coaching type setup where you're able to have a long-term relationship and, and get patients where they want to be. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, the thing with SteadyMD, the thing that was so appealing is that you actually, since you do have a smaller patient panel, you get to spend way more time with folks actually mm-hmm. sussing out the details of their concerns, of their health goals, uh, their history, the whole deal. You know, you're basically putting out fires uh, with the regular primary care doctor or you're actually the quote unquote gatekeeper to for referrals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know that's like that's always the the distracting question on a, an exam. <laughs> like, oh, what does primary care doctors do? But in yeah. reality, this is how it works. You, you know, people come into the office, they need a med refill, they have one problem that you get to like, you know, maybe talk about, and then you give them a referral, and then they're happy, you need to come back in a few weeks. Um, and you never get to discuss fitness or initiation of, of uh, sort of modifications in lifestyle to actually help them out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and I didn't. I don't see a solution to the problem in a uh, regular practice. So yeah, SteadyMD super, super uh, uh, forward thinking to to kind of do that. And the other thing is this: there's such a demand, which is why the remote access thing is is very very useful. Um, you know, and we can order prescriptions, we can order labs, we can do a lot of cool things um, that that you know people may think oh well what can these guys actually do we can pretty much do everything except for lay hands on you unless we happen to be making a tour which is probably going to be in the plan i mean i think that you would agree i think you would agree that most of the common issues nowadays uh, i would say the non-acute issues nowadays that need to be managed in a primary care clinic meaning chronic 
chronic issues, weight management, endocrine issues, things like that, they require uh, more than a five to 10 minute appointment. And if you really want to manage things like obesity and diabetes, uh, more than just say titrating someone's insulin dosage, uh, you need you need a lot of time to individualize the approach to figure out what makes people tick and kind of where their issues are in the process that uh, they might need some more guidance to help them get through so that they can you know get where they want to be. Yeah, I actually you know it's funny I actually thought um, I had a discussion with a resident while we were um, while I was still in residency. <laughs> And uh, she was like, no, I think you can do everything in 20 minutes. And, and that resonated with me that, like, you are not prepared to take care of people because you cannot do hardly anything in 20 minutes. And yeah. I, don't, I don't care if you're the best diagnostician, you know, in the world. It's just people are more complicated. Human psychology is more complicated than that. And being able to actually explain stuff to people in a way that they understand just takes longer than 20 minutes. So, right. Yeah. The the You know, where I can see her uh her claim coming from now you're ENTP is, me right <laughs> where i can see her claim coming from is for people who have say for example multiple known chronic diagnoses and the goal of her 20 minute appointment is to ensure that the patient is on uh, all of the quote unquote guideline directed medical therapy. That's like the magic phrase, for example, in cardiology, the GDMT guideline directed medical therapy to make sure that your patient who has heart failure or CHF is on this med, this med, this med, this med, this med, and their doses have been maximized. That is something that can oftentimes be done in that brief of an appointment, but that is not what we're trying to do here. And it's not necessarily what we're talking about. Yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. So you're basically saying that if there are guidelines for medical management, then you can do that within Oh, a 20 minute visit. But yeah, if I have a patient who has known cirrhosis, I know what medicines to get them on. If they have COPD, I can get them on the right meds or CHF or diabetes or whatever. I know what medicines they need to be on and I can titrate that over time, but I don't have time to counsel them on how to live with their condition as effectively as I otherwise could with more time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the most frustrating thing is too. So imagine you are meeting a patient for the first time. They schedule for a long H and P and you have, you know, 35, 40 minutes with them or whatever. Right. You know, optimistically, cause they showed up on time. They got checked in on time. You're not running <laughs> behind, everything else. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're going through their medical history. You're going through their surgical history, the whole deal. Medications are on allergies, the whole, the whole gig. And you know, then you're like, you know, what do you do for exercise? And you, they're like, you know, I don't actually do any exercise, but I, I'm, I'm really wanting to start. And so our eyes light up and we're like, oh, the unicorn patient, <laughs> the unicorn patient. Yeah. Not only that, but, you know, uh, let's even say that the, the non unicorn patient who's who you talk about it and they're like, hey, I'd be willing to try that. You don't have the time to discuss, hey, here's what you need to do. And, you know, here's who you need to go see or here's, you know, the the gym is actually attached to the clinic. Go, you know, you mm-hmm. can go see Scott because that actually doesn't exist yet. Um, best case scenario, you get a referral to PT, which, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah, it is is not indicated. And then uh, worst case scenario is the, that, the, the referral would probably be rejected. Yeah, yeah the referral would be rejected. Right. Yeah. Because they're like, what's the diagnosis? And yeah, like, therapeutic None. exercise or something. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, best case scenario, you get referred to PT. Worst case scenario, no, they don't even mention it. All right. And then in the middle is ah, just walk more, which is currently not guideline directed. So um, I think overall, that's a huge time thing in addition to teaching for primary care. But yeah, turns out. You and I may be leading we the charge. Time. Well, yeah, it's, we have the time with SteadyMD, but also leading the charge with UpToDate. So that's going to be cool. Yeah. You want to tell people about what UpToDate is? Yeah. So um, we'll uh, cut this and then make it something pretty. 
Um, yeah, so the up-to-date thing is super interesting. If you're not familiar with up-to-date, um, it is probably the largest repository of information that physicians and healthcare professionals access to guide management and to learn about stuff on the fly. So, you know, if you're in the hospital and you have a patient who comes in with some weird disease, let's call it Chagas, <laughs> the first thing you do isn't to Google Chagas, it's to go and up-to-date and put in Chagas. It's like the doctor's Google, right? And so other healthcare professionals use that as well. And it basically comes up with for each disease or condition or medication or something else like that. It's what is it? You know, what's the you know, what is the epidemiology about it? What do you do about it? How do you test for it? How do you, you know, mm-hmm. you know, what's your differential? Um, everything we know about it. So when we were approached to write about write about strength training and primary care and the health benefits of our eyes just got so, <laughs> you know, we've turned into Bambi. It's just. <laughs> and we're because you and I know like how powerful that could be. We could have a whole page on you know health benefits of strength training, and then that would have to spin off to what is strength training, and that would have to spin off into what are the recommendations for strength training, yep. and that would spin off to patient information for strength training. So it's going to become a whole section. I, be, I, for, I foresee that it has the potential to become a whole like subsection within this just encyclopedic volume of medical knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And then it'll be like, oh, beyond the basics for patients. So that's the handouts that your doctors give you. Um, you know, that's going to be it. like we're going to have the opportunity to influence what that is for exercise uh, recommendations for primary care. And, and I mean, honestly, I don't know of a bigger opportunity that's come across our our uh, our path just yet. Yeah, I, th- I think I would agree because, you know, when it comes to not even you, you mentioned the weird diagnoses like Chagas, but it's routinely used for the not weird diagnoses either. You know, when somebody comes oh, yeah. in with any particular problem and you just want to, yeah, just make sure you check to see that you're not missing something or, or you know, residents along the way who are who, maybe they've only seen an asthma exacerbation for the second or third time and they it hasn't quite sunken in yet. And how do I manage this? They'll look they'll use it to look it up. And so, you know, this is something where it's going to be the first thing that people see. And people I would pr- I would guess that probably more uh, physicians and medical folks uh, go there to get their uh, advice on, you know, initial management of things. Uh, more often than they go to the primary guidelines that are published by the official organizations, because usually the guideline documents are like 175 pages and, you know, they're, they're, they take a lot of time. They're, they're oftentimes worth reading through, but they're very dense and take a lot of time. And so when you're in the middle of a day in practice and clinic or in a hospital, um, that's why more people lean towards this. And so that's where I think this is going to be powerful because of its accessibility and the fact that people actually use it. Yep, 100%. I got some Q&As from people sliding in my DMs. Yeah, so Lorraine, Lorraine Baraki, she's half of the doctors Baraki, first of their name. Um, <laughs> she's actually a sexual therapist. Uh, no, she is an OBGYN resident, uh, which means she does deals with lady things. Um, is there anything else to you? Is that it? You know, that's really it. It's really <laughs> unidimensional. <laughs> All the lady things you don't want to think about. Yep. Me. I'm yeah. All over it. You know, it's funny because I had one month of OB and uh, and then two weeks of NICU. And uh, that's, I'm good. I think You're pretty I'm, much an expert. I'm pretty, much, I'm pretty much an expert. And, you know, honestly, <laughs> in family medicine, we do a lot of the, a lot of that routine female maintenance <clears throat> And, Email maintenance. Yeah, it's, you're basically like cars. 
It's like tuning, tu- tuning him up. Yeah. Tuning him up. <laughs> look at that look of disdain. Like, yeah, that's love. That's love. Um, okay, so Lorraine, now you're a fairly accomplished lifter with to much the much to the disdain of other females because seemingly you come out of nowhere and decide to squat PRs just after like a three month deload. Oh, Literally uh, like eight yes. workouts, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, turns out now. So, what's your athletic background? I played soccer when I was in high school and I ran track and field, uh, the shorter sprint distances. Um, and then when I transitioned from high school to college, I ultimately joined ROTC, um, the reserve officer for, um, to get a scholarship to join the army. And in that time I had to run more and then I got really into running, um, so then I started doing half marathons, 10Ks, things like that, um, and was just like a cardio junkie at that time. Um, and then I transitioned to doing uh, little hit workouts and things, whatever I could do in my living room. I was really into that for a while. And then I added weights to it by messing around with CrossFit and thought that was fun for a little while. Don't make that face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I just had a stroke when you said CrossFit. Every time, that's like a, it's a coagulopathic term. <laughs> it's a pro-coagulant. It's a pro-coagulant, yeah. Estrogen, CrossFit. I did little, I did little baby competitions locally uh, and then really got to liking um, the Olympic lifts. And so I just focused on those two things for a little while. Again, competed locally, I think in Richmond once and then in Norfolk once uh, and thought, you know, this is pretty tedious. I just want to be strong. And uh, wait, 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 wait. You're <laughs> suggesting that on your own volition that you just decided you wanted to be just strong. Just wanted to be strong. Damn it. You just, you and didn't influence so- her, Austin? So we met in med school first year and oh, I'm aware the whole time. we. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Uh, Red dog. She fun, was a uh, fun fact, everyone. <laughs> the only reason that Austin and I met this is not true. The, the, the town's small enough. We would have figured it out that we were the only two guys looking down when we squatted. So we would have we would have found each other, <laughs> not by looking up, but just would have, <laughs> we would have found each other together. The first time I met Austin, I'm in a bar. Granted, I've been in Norfolk where I went to medical school. Well, we went to medical school for about a week, right? I didn't know anybody, you know. I see this girl at the bar, and she looks, you know, moderately muscled. And I said to myself, self, <laughs> she'd go up and say hello. And in a nice way, I was just, you know, talking. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Austin, less 20 pounds, rolls up. And he's like, hey, how's it going? You know, Probably less 40 pounds at that point, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, giving you some credit. I wasn't, you know. But, um, yeah, so anyway, that's how I met Austin, by hitting on his girlfriend. Um, and, and again, in my defense, I didn't know. It's not like I know him. That's true. Yeah, I didn't check. You saw the muscles; they were attached to a female. Yeah, proceeded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sue me. Yeah. So, so at that point, she was she was running like the whole time we were dating, and then she saw me training in my garage at one point, and was like, "Hey, deadlifting. Do you want to teach me how to do that?" And I was like, "Okay." So I taught her, and then you know, there wasn't any convincing or any of that kind of stuff because we typically advise people against that. But. Oh yeah. Yeah, you're not supposed to like coach people that you're uh <clears throat> sleeping with? Uh yeah. Yes. That's where I was going. <laughs> That's where I was going. Um in any event, so good. That all worked out. You guys have a bunch of cute engagements and now wedding pictures and now 
you guys are just living the dream and, in Texas. You know, a marriage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> attached, and then she squatted three fifteen without training, so that was cool. Yeah, you should keep her. Yeah, you should keep her. Yeah. You know, hey, honestly, Lorraine, if you just don't train for like another six months, you probably about four or five. I think that's <laughs> done. Done. If you did the trend line, you know? <laughs> yeah. Are you? What are you? Fifty-two kilos now? Are you like a? No are you a no. junior lifter? Like they don't have a weight class for you anymore. You have to go back. No, no. She lost all her weight during intern year, and then it's since, it all back. since recovered. So that's a good. Thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, but in, on, uh, on a serious note, Lorraine's a OBGYN resident, so she yeah is uh, big into female health and delivering babies and uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so just a very pressing question: While we have you, okay, Ooh. what would you say your biggest source of frustration is when it comes to pregnancy and the current exercise recommendations? That there are none. Ooh. That's a big frustration. So, so the American uh, College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, known as ACOG, effectively doles out the recommendations that you guys kind of make your recommendations from to the patient. Right. Um, and so their current exercise guidelines are effectively like, you know, like, do whatever you Maybe want. Maybe do it. Maybe do it. I mean, you should do it. We think you should do it. We're not going to tell you how to do it what or what's is best. That? Uh, it's just my really That's the ACOG accent. That's the ACOG accent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but, well, well let it's Let me not talk trash about ACOG because I'm in the running for the Armed Forces District Section Vice Chair this year, so. That's, like, way too many qualifiers. I feel like that's not important. Uh, no. But it could be me, man. It could be me. This is my chance. Um, uh, but, yeah, you're right. It doesn't give specific details, um, and basically... It's telling a group of obstetricians that your patients should um, should stay within certain weight gain brackets based on their pre-pregnancy BMI and things like that. Okay. Um, that the mainstays should be um, focusing on their diet and maintaining some level of physical activity throughout their pregnancy. Um, but you know as well as we do that we all go to medical school and we don't get great training on what is proper nutrition and how should someone go about, uh, you know, tailoring or structuring their physical activity for certain goals and things like that. And it's just like what you said. They should just kind of walk and then do uh, this intensity exercise for this many minutes, uh, things like that. But that's all we have in medical school. But the ACOG does not give specific recommendations. They don't say don't lift weights, but they don't say do lift weights. They don't say you know, walk, run, anything like that. Well, uh, they actually change. That's actually new, but that they changed that recently. So it used to say like, don't lift weights. And then like, right. I think it was three or four years ago, they actually changed it yeah. to say, you can lift weights if you like to. Yeah. Basically, um, what a lot of obstetricians will tell their patients is whatever you were doing before pregnancy is probably okay, but don't try to, don't try to PR. Don't yeah, but, try to over it. But why? There is no reason. There is no reason. Yeah. So at the same time, though, there's no evidence, but there's no... There's no evidence. I know. There, there's no... And, and pregnancy is tricky. Um, you know, uh, this group of physicians is going to be really hesitant to push for something that doesn't... That has not been studied. Um, and these things are likely not going to be studied in a robust, effective way when it comes to pregnancy. Sure. And I that's, think that's just across the board. That, that's that's probably kind of the history of their guidelines on a number of things is generally being about as, about as risk averse as you can possibly be, which to an extent is understandable given how, you know, devastating, say, a miscarriage can be. But it's also difficult to study a lot of things in a robust enough way to where you can yeah. confidently say this outcome 
say you had a miscarriage, for example, was or was not actually related to the thing that we were studying, whatever that variable is. So we hang our hat a lot on expert opinion. But my question is... Who's the expert? What expert's at? No expert. And do they even live? <laughs> I mean... No, they don't. Yeah, well, yeah. So, no, that's so, a great that's a great point. There's not like a bunch of, you know, strength conditioning coaches who are also trained and, you know, it tra- med- medically trained who are saying, oh, pregnant, you know, women should or shouldn't train. It's more just doctors who have this theoretical sort of uh, risk profile that, that they're thinking about associated with lifting. And you know what's interesting is that even Rip, you know, has a similar view. You know, his thing is, you know the type of person you don't need in your gym? <laughs> Pregnant woman. <clears throat> and, it, and his thing is, is it, again, is that you uh, should, if they were lifting before, you already knew them, that's fine. But if they just presented to your gym and they were, you know, a couple months pregnant, that you don't need that. Right. I mean, okay, I get it. But I think it's important to take home that we don't have any evidence to suggest that lifting and even starting a lifting program while pregnant is dangerous. Right. Um, you know, that, that being said, we don't have any randomized controlled trials showing that it's safer than not lifting either. Yeah. But, but you know, at the same time, you would think that, I mean, people, people do weird things. Right. Like people do some strange sort of drugs and strange, you know, over the counter stuff and get weird infection. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Where are the case reports of women squatting PR set of five with belt on, you know, at three months, spontaneous, you know, abortion or, you know, threatened abort, you know, none of that, none of that stuff exists. Right. So, So I guess I would think that with the popularity of training now, particularly through CrossFit, I would expect some case report yeah. sh- showing at least some risk profile, and we just haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get like not skiing. Don't go skiing because you know you might like crash high velocity it. crashes and things. Yeah, like probably don't do burpees. You know. Oh yeah. But but uh, so a friend of mine, Mike, um, his wife just delivered. Like she, tra- so she pulled a PR triple a few days prior to delivering. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I, she had help. That's cheating. Did she have help? Yeah. What do you Maybe. mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a team. Two are lifting for one, right? It's a team it's deadlift. A t- tandem deadlift. <laughs> lifting for two. Cheating. That's a great shirt. Copyright. Don't anybody take that. That's my copyright. Lifting for two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Barbell OB. Uh, yeah, but anyway, and I, I think you know, he said that she delivered in five pushes. So one, awesome. one set of five. Now, okay. what's more frustrating to you? When people say, when women, because I assume most of your patients are uh, women, <laughs> when they say to you, I don't want to get big and bulky from lifting weights, so I don't want to lift weights, or uh, that they, they prefer to just stick to cardio, it's, it's the same, it's basically the same thing, but like which one is more frustrating to you as a practitioner? It's hard to tease out because they do uh, commonly come from the same mouth. Uh, I would say the big and bulky statement is more frustrating to me um, because the the Some people declaration like the declaration of wanting to just do cardio uh, tells me, hey, you have some level of physical activity that is more than the sedentary person, and I'm not going to try to dictate uh, what you should do, and you're motivated, so sure, do that. Um, but to specifically say that they do not want to strength train because they're going to get big and bulky, I just feel like 
open your eyes like I'm sitting right in front of you. Look at me. Am I a big and bulky person? Are you, I mean, do you know what I can do? And I am a normal looking female, I think. I mean, what do you think? (laughs) But um, anyways, normal looking aside, you know, forget I said that. Really, it's just... Uh, it's just so much ignorance there in that statement to try to convey to someone that they do not possess the level of testosterone necessary to develop masculine features. Um, you know, it's a whole physiology lecture and it's so frustrating because I'm not going to sit down and break it down for them. Uh, and it is just such a statement of ignorance that that probably frustrates me more. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly can understand that. Now, I will play devil's advocate. Go on. Second. There is likely a certain cohort of females who do, in fact, gain a significant amount of muscle mass from training. But I want them to identify themselves. Now, I don't think it's a lot by definition, um, you know, because these are outliers. These are the freaks of the freaks, right? These are the, oh, yeah. these are the females who they touch a barbell and like through appropriate strength conditioning and do notice like a significant amount of muscle mass gain. But these are the ones who are going to be the freak, the freaky athletes. And I would actually say that if we put it, put you guys out on a continuum that you're probably towards that end. Now, obviously, I agree that you're not, you know big and bulky and you don't have the chemical milieu inside of mm. yourself to, to, you know, milieu. Well, me and Claude Bernard hang out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to look that way. And, and I think the fear, the fear is that they don't want to look like a professional female bodybuilder, you know, who's, who's take, who's taken, you know, specific, uh, substances to look a certain way. But I do think that there is a cohort of female who do in fact lift weights and get bulkier, but I want them to identify themselves so that I can coach them. Yeah, and send them to the games. And send them to the games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you I know, agree with you, and they are the minority. Absolutely. Um, the but if someone's going to use that as an argument in that context, um, you know, I'm just going to choose my battles because I can't dictate what someone's going to care about. And oh, if sure. what someone sure. cares about is how they look in the end, sure. um, there's nothing that I can really say to convince them that their health and being stronger. Uh, should take priority to how they look. Sure. Um, well, and the, and the other thing is too, like easy way to not get big and bulky from lifting is to not be in a caloric surplus. Just right. easy, easy way. Hey, you don't want to gain that's muscle just like mass. One other thing to mention yeah. in addition to everything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if you, if you aren't gaining weight, guess what you're not doing? You're not gaining muscle mass. And I know that's like, that gives me, do you know people on the internet just, they hate that. They're like, hey, man, I just bought this ebook that told me I could get lean and jacked at the same time, you know, and, and bigger muscle at the same time. It's like, yeah, well, they, they, they are preying on your, your uh, uh, inability to tease out the truth. So, yeah. All right. Well, I like that answer. All right. Uh, question to you, Dr. Baraki. Male. <laughs> hey, what book uh, or books do you recommend for someone wanting to learn about uh, programming and lifting in general? Obviously, besides starting strength and practical programming. Besides those two. Mm -hmm. So assuming this person has actually read those and actually digested them, because I will make the argument that they require multiple reads to fully absorb. I think I read the blue book probably three, probably three times, I think, before I went to the seminar for the first time, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good place. Those are definitely a good place to start. So if you've not read it more than once, your first instruction is to go back and and read them again. Um, 
we maybe perhaps this is a reasonable time to uh, to announce <laughs> the, uh, the the next thing. You know, it's not necessarily going to be super, uh, super widely published in hardback or something like that. But Jordan and I have thrown together a little uh, a little ebook associated with our quote unquote the bridge program that we're going to start to recommend for people take them to the bridge uh, of the of an appropriate demographic and training history who will then be able to use the program as they come off of the novice linear progression and so there's going to be an ebook associated with that that will uh, basically explain a whole lot of the underlying programming theory behind why it looks the way it does and then it can hopefully provide a framework for uh, kind of where to go next in training yep yeah, I would actually argue that those people who are asking about what's the, what are the next books don't, don't actually understand the books that well. And I, I don't mean to like be on my high horse, but it's kind of like, look, my next recommendations are going to be like more peripheral, tangential books, Bondarchuk, uh, Bomba and Hot and Half, uh, Isserin, uh, Zetsarsky, yeah. uh, and, and But you cannot actually understand those books in any sort of practical context until you could legitimately – Someone could give you a topic from practical programming and you could just recite, you know, hey, this is what this means and this is, you know, all, all the considerations. Because when you read a text, like a paragraph from Zatsyorsky's like Science and Practice of Strength and Conditioning, you're like, oh, my God, what did he just say? Like you can't you, you can't even read the damn thing. Right. You know, so, that's why I've completely like the books that you've mentioned. They're the, those are the ones that the titles of which are typically thrown around a lot in these sorts of discussions. I've basically stopped recommending those to people who ask me what books they should read next, because it's like if you're asking me what books you should read next, you're not ready for those. Yet. Yeah, I almost. So your instruction is to go back and read the basic ones again. And when you're ready to read those ones, you'll, you'll probably find them on you'll, your own. You'll have come across them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's exactly. Probably, that's probably a good point. Yeah. Uh, Lorraine, what are you reading now? <laughs> not like right now because it's not you know but some ob text practice bulletins oh god yeah. you know what i miss about practice bulletins nothing <laughs> nothing you don't miss them at all yeah okay. <laughs> nine 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 join us next time for our barbell medicine ob workout plan we'll be releasing those templates <laughs> shortly no i'm just kidding I told her after she does her uh, after she does a bunch of Eurogyne stuff this year that we'll have her back on the podcast and we can talk about that kind of stuff because people want to know these things. Let's take him to the pelvic floor. Let's enter the perineum. <laughs> Let's not. Okay. <laughs> oh God. Let's not. Next question: Is adrenal fatigue real? No. And if so, how would it affect training and programming? Well, I'll take this first one. It would affect training and programming if you saw a practitioner who believed in adrenal fatigue and they would subsequently modify your training and programming to be ineffective, have you take a bunch of bullshit supplements, and then months would go by, you'd feel no better because you're just undertrained. And and you're and and something if you're actually tired, right? And you have no medical cause for it, such as poly, you know, uh, like an arousal syndrome at night, or you're not sleeping enough, or you have sleep apnea, or you have some other any medical. number of other things: anemia, hypothyroidism, hypogonadism, yep. under endo- other endocrinopathies, yep. like all kinds of stuff: yep. renal failure, cirrhosis, hypercalcemia. Yeah, yeah no, right. Go, like we could legit go, go through forever. systems. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, then you know, adrenal insufficiency. Here's how it presents. Uh, your blood pressure is super low. Uh, your blood sugar is poorly regulated. Sometimes you get a little brown. Right? <laughs> like Depending uh, on where the lesion is. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of weird things. But in general, you know, vomiting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People are like, people are like, I'm just tired. I'm like, oh, maybe you're depressed. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So black licorice root's not going to cure that. Okay. Yeah. The poliquin pregnenolone isn't going to cure that. And I would I would say that who the hell are these people recommending you take you know potentially steroidogenic. Uh, uh, supplements with no basis to test this stuff. Don't not the mindset to understand how this actually affects the body. So shame on you people for actually making this a thing, posting about it on the internet, and parading around like you can fix it. It's yeah. it's, it's great that you made up something that has a, a financial benefit for you, all right, and that can't be <laughs> you know tested for uh, reliably. You know this is like the reverse T three syndrome kind of thing. You know yeah. when I see reverse T three. Pan, like panel on a out, an an out on an outpatient exactly yeah for an outpatient set of labs i just laugh i just know that the person who ordered the labs is an actual idiot and then i'm like look man i have so much work to undo here because you've sat in a professional's office who told you that you may have this thing that has no cure that they can you know it, it's just frustrating so these are the people who need to have access to up to date where you just like type in adrenal insufficiency. And then the first thing that comes up is adrenal sufficiency is not a thing. According to the American, you know, endocrinology it's society fatigue. Yeah. yeah. And then you're right. And then they have this, you know, huge uh, practice bulletin where you can just like read through and say, Oh wow. Maybe this person was just lying to me after they adjusted my neck. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> Feigenbaum goes off. If you're, look, I'm looking into my very expensive camera right now. If your practitioner tells you that you have adrenal fatigue, get a new practitioner. They are not licensed to practice medicine, and if they are, that it should be revoked. Don't take anything that person tells you to do. Don't let them touch your neck, all right? And don't take the supplements. You need to see an actual doctor, all right? Dad's mad. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc